Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Welcome to Until Saturday, Max and Sam edition of the podcast. I'm Sam Kahn, senior writer and expert at The Athletic, joined as always by my good friend, senior writer, Max Olson at The Athletic. Max, how are you today? Buddy, I'm doing well. Um, I did not think that we would be leading off the show with what we're about to get into, but, uh, <laughs> you know, let's cook. Yeah, yeah, it's gonna it's gonna be a good show. We've got we've got a lot on tap for you. We got Kenny Smith, uh, Alabama writer for the Athletic, coming on the show as guest. Talk about the Tide, Jalen Milrose debut, and the big game against Texas coming up in Week Two. We got stock report uh, later on in the show. But first, our one big thing we're gonna hit today: Monday night, Clemson and Duke, which was an eye opener to say the least. Before we get into that. Of course, be sure to follow the podcast on Apple, wherever you get your podcast, drop us a five-star review, leave us a question we review. If you do, we may be able to get to it on the show for the mailbag segment. Subscribe to Until Saturday on YouTube. Be sure to join us live every Thursday, Saturday, and Sunday, Saturday night live reaction show, Sunday sound off. We did it on Monday last uh, this week because of the holiday and the LSU-FSU game. It was a lot of fun. We get your voicemails in there. If you want your voicemails in, 316-462-9852. 316-462-9852. We've had some really good voicemails. We had the ghost of Keith Jackson join us amazing. on uh, Monday. That was an amazing impersonation, <laughs> by the way. I, I, was, uh, I was flattered with how well he did that. Uh, and, uh, of course, the Until Saturday newsletter. Uh, check the link in the show description. Subscribe to that every Monday through Friday. You get your daily fill of college football news right in your inbox. And Max, Don, and the Terry Black's Barbecue t-shirt today. That's a little sneak preview. You'll see that on the official visit later. Uh, the first episode of the official visit is up. Yeah, Ohio State. Looks like you guys had a lot of fun. Looks like you ate a lot. Uh, you and Ari, it was a hell of a trip. <sighs> what do you mean by that? Do I, do I look like I've gained a few LBs? Um, we, those episodes out every Thursdays. This week's episode uh, will be uh, a school that uh, Ohio State is very familiar with. So All right. That's, I love it. I love it. So, but, but enough about Big Ten football. Let's talk ACC and a big matchup last night. Clemson and Duke. Duke, I don't want to say dominates, but kind of toward the end, seemed like it. 28 to 7. Over the Tigers, who were a top 10 team coming in. First AP top 10 win for the Blue Devils since 1989. Big win for Mike Elko in this program. And lots of questions for Clemson. I'll start with this one, Max. What on earth was that Clemson offense that we saw? It did not resemble the TCU offense against Michigan in the, the semifinal uh, last year that you and I witnessed. Um and you and I both think very highly of Garrett Riley, and I, I generally trust that, that this guy is going to figure it out with what he's got. But Sam, to, to be honest, when we were working through our playoff picks a couple weeks ago, this is what I circled. This is why I stayed away from Clemson as a playoff team, because I think you look at just on paper, you just look at that roster. It's not the most inspiring group of playmakers, and I'm not knocking Will Shipley or anybody there. Um, but certainly when we've seen Clemson be a, a regular playoff contender, national title contender, they've got some NFL dudes on the outside. And I don't think they've got that right now. I feel like watching Cade Klubnick and we'll have to talk about him, obviously. There, I feel like there was just a, a bunch of moments in that game where I felt like he was thrown to covered guys. They just couldn't really, you know, part of that's on QB decision making as, as a sophomore who still, you know, doesn't have many starts under his belt. But I, those guys were not getting separation. I think Duke's defense did really a terrific job and I don't know dude I mean it's 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 been interesting to see the reaction this morning I, obviously I think whenever Clemson loses people kind of just sharpen their knives and and delight in, in Dabo <laughs> taking an L are are we doing the whole dynasty dead thing like Grace wrote a, a good column last night on this game like what how how extreme are we going this morning yeah I think it's 
again, week one overreactions, right? I think you got to temper it a little bit, but I do think it's worth having the conversation because the the issue on Monday night was talent. And in particularly, like you said, game-breaking receiver talent. There's no T. Higgins. There's no Justin Ross. There's no even, even before then, no no new Hopkins. Mike, in Mike Williams. Renfro, right. go down no. the list. Yeah. yeah. Right, right. That th- Those guys aren't there. Those types of receivers clearly are not there because you could see Duke was manning up against these guys and covering them. And there was not a lot of open space and real estate in the secondary, not a lot of separation. And so if you're going to have this offense, we talk about Garrett Riley and the TCU offense and what they did last year. They had Quentin Johnson. They had Darius Davis. Both those dudes are playing in the NFL. Uh, They had some real dudes that were able to separate and get an open space. And the offense isn't going to work without those guys. And that comes back to the inability or unwillingness of Dabo Swinney to use the transfer portal. Because Mm -hmm. when you lose, and you tweeted this on Monday night, Max, your conversation with Mike Gundy. When you lose guys, you can't just replace them with high school freshmen because you're gonna be you're gonna be in trouble for a couple of years. Because when you lose veterans, you have to replace some of them with veterans. They lost twelve guys in the portal, and they replaced them with one, and the rest are obviously recruits. So I think it is a real talent issue, and I do think as long as that is the approach, then yeah, I think we do have a serious issue of Clemson being able to contend at a national championship level. I agree. And I look, I think if, if, if Clemson wants to go into the transfer market, they're going to get players, right? This is not a question of, um, you know, would they, would that be a desirable destination for transfer receivers? And trust me, when it comes to the transfer portal, there is no position that is more like deep in terms of talent becoming available than wide receiver. Honestly, I mean, wide receiver and DB are the two positions that, you get hundreds and hundreds of guys going in every year, and and there's certainly guys that uh, could play at Clemson. And so, I, I wonder. I'm sure that Dabo Swinney's pretty reluctant to go there, um, but ultimately, when you have a couple classes of misses um, at the receiver position, which they have, then you got to figure out some way to make up for that. And I, and I understand the old school thinking of, hey, let's trust our young guys, let's give them opportunities, let's let 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 the next guy up kind of go earn it, but. You know, I think I think we've seen a little bit of a dip at, at receiver development and production since Jeff Scott left to be the head coach at USF, and um, that I'm not not knocking the staff. I'm just saying I think when when you have some of these misses, you got to f- figure out a way to make up for it. And I think you know Clemson Clemson came up short there, but let's let's be honest. Like I, I understand the glass half full spin on this could be like, oh man, look at all those opportunities they had in the red zone and the fumbles and, t- and turnovers and stuff, and act like it's a little bit fluky. Um, I looked this up out of curiosity this morning. Bill Connolly's post-game uh uh post-game win expectancy, excuse me. Um for for Clemson just based on just based on the numbers, just based on how this game played out uh was 16%. I mean, Duke was the better team. It wasn't yeah. it wasn't just a bunch of uh random plays. I mean, there were some big plays um that that flipped the outcome for sure, but um I think Duke outplayed them. I think Riley Leonard was terrific. Um Duke's good. I mean, let's just be. I mean, let's let's be honest. Let's let's not ignore the other side of this. I think Mike Elko has done a terrific job and has uh, amazingly has won a lot of games very quickly at Duke, which I don't think anybody um, would would have expected in in terms of a, a unproven, you know, DC going into a job like that. That is, from a recruiting standpoint, uh, not the easiest. Yeah, no, no doubt. I think you're right about the the turnovers, the missed field goals. Some of that was fluky, but. To borrow a line to our use, at what point does it stop being a freaking coincidence? Because there were too many of those, and a team of this level should not be making those kinds of mistakes. Kate Klubnick, rough outing, of course. You know, like you said, too many forced throws. And I just, I do wonder. We saw this tweet surface last night, I think, from Graham Coffee about Dabo telling ESPN that Grout Riley's coming in to run the Clemson offense. And I'm wondering, so how much? What does that mean? Is that just posturing, or does? Garrett Riley really having to mesh with what Clemson wants its offensive identity to be, or was he hired to bring in the offense that he ran at TCU? And and I think that is important in this discussion because if he's not running or if he's not given full reign to run what he wants, then I think that's a problem. And and it raises a lot of questions again about the long-term direction of this program. 
I, I, there was another comment on the broadcast last night where they were talking about their running back duo, Shipley and Maffa, and, and they were compared to um, Mixon and Pirine in Oklahoma in Lincoln Riley's days. And I'm like, seems seems a little, little that seems a little generous. I mean, like I think, <laughs> I, those, and those guys played well. I mean, Clemson rushed for 200 yards. Um, certainly, they can lean on that um, that that duo, and and probably will need to here going forward a little bit. But I mean, that can be a little bit. A little bit dangerous when you kind of overestimate what you got there a little bit. And, um, you know, I, I know for Dabo Sony, this is shocking in, in a bunch of ways. But, man, there's not like a lot of time to kind of tinker here. I mean, they got Florida State in a couple weeks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it doesn't get much easier now to echo the point you just made. Put some respect on Mike Elko's name. Mm-hmm. That guy won nine games in year one at Duke. And like you said. They were the better team last night. And this is a team that's going to be a factor. Riley Leonard, terrific outing. Tyler Santucci, the defensive coordinator who he brought over from A&M, thought it had a, did a terrific job uh, scheming up against this offense. This is a really good team. And Elko, a guy who was struggling to get a head coaching gig for a couple of years, even though he had anchored some really impressive defenses at A&M, did a really good job turning around Notre Dame, did a really good job at Wake Forest. He's done. He's had success a lot of places. For whatever reason, he was ha- having trouble getting a little traction in the head coaching searches. Finally, the Duke opportunity comes. He takes it. And, man, he's run with it, man. Look at how different this program looks since he's taken over. Well, it helps when you walk in the door and and you've got an NFL quarterback, and I think Riley Leonard has has proven himself to be that. Um, you know, re- almost rushed for a hundred yards last night. I mean, I just think that the dual threat um, aspect of his game, I think, is 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 really impressive. And uh, you know, that kind of game, he he didn't seem he didn't seem phased. He didn't seem seem too worried about. I mean, Clemson still got a bunch of blue chippers up front, and they can still rush the passer and all that. But um, I thought Riley Leonard handled that game really well. And, uh, you know, I think, I think Duke is certainly, I, I, you know, the AP top 25 is not out. I'm, I'm as of when you and I take this, I'm guessing they're going to be in it. Right. I mean, I think Duke's going to be a factor here going forward. Yeah, absolutely. Before we move on, one last thing I want to get to is we talked about the big picture Clemson concerns. Do you think that under Dabo Swinney, this Clemson program is going to get back to a national championship game? Hmm. I think Clemson might be one of those places where the 12 team playoffs going to make the road tougher too. You know, I think that, that I, I, I certainly, I mean, look, that's, I'm, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. The ACC is about to get easier when they add Stanford, Cal and SMU. Right. So um, in terms of Clemson being able to make, make ACC title runs um, I think that will continue. Uh, but once you get into that 12 team playoff, um, that will be great for them to play some home games, in the, and I think that environment will be great. Death Valley will be awesome for that. But in terms of stringing together the run, it's just going to be a, a different existence, I think, than when it was a four-team playoff and you got to pull, you got to pull one upset or, or you know, knock off some team that um, probably generally is going to be higher than you in the in the re- recruiting team talent rankings and stuff. That's a funny thing though. Clemson's recruiting hasn't really fallen off, not not on paper, right? I mean, it's still a top top five. They went team from in terms they went of, from top five top seven to kind of top 10 11 the last couple of years so it's not fallen off in a big way yeah. uh it's it's but it, they, they've never really been the top five recruiting type they've never been the they, they have won those battles with georgia and alabama and they have had classes that have ranked in the top five but they've never been the we're gonna have the number one class every year kind of team that's just no. not no. who they are for sure. But I think I think that, you know, there's going to be some of these programs like Penn State comes to mind that have a chance, you know, Texas or A&M, like th- that have a chance to get in the 12 team playoff consistently. But can you actually like advance and, and you know, be a top four team? Like we'll see. I think Clemson, that's the danger that you fall into. I don't think Clemson's fallen, fallen all the way off and they're not a top 25 program by any means. But uh, in terms of being up there with the the, the, the four or five best teams in the country. That's the thing that uh, that that has a chance to sl- slip here a little bit if they don't, uh, you know, respond to this the right way and win a ton of games this year. There's there's no you know there's no mulligan now. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see. And, and like Max said, check out Grace Rayner's column on the Athletic uh, on Definitely. Tuesday. Good take on where the Tigers are going. Let's let's move on and talk about Week Two a little bit. Uh, Kenny Smith, the Alabama writer from the Athletic, bring him on to talk about the first impression of Jalen Milrow. 
Crimson Tide's first game and, of course, the big showdown with Texas in Bryant-Denny Stadium. Kenny, how are you, sir, after the first weekend of football? Yeah, I'm good. Thank you all for having me. Um, first game in Bryant-Denny was, was lit. Um, the fans were um, crazy, even though they only played Middle Tennessee State. I know it's only um, an appetizer for what's to come. This weekend when they play Texas is going to be like a crazy atmosphere um, from what's happening on the field to the stands to the media press box. I know it's going to be um, you know packed to the brim. So excited to see that. But um, enjoy my first game. Um, glad to be here um, at the Athletic from our from our first week, and um, you know, looking forward to to kind of recapping week one and looking ahead to week two. Uh, Kenny wanted to start with uh, the first impression that you got of Jalen Mulrow. This quarterback battle was such a hot topic throughout the off season, and and you've written a lot about it at the Athletic, and just wanted to get a sense for what you thought of, of how he played. The numbers were there. Obviously, you see them five touchdowns, 242 total yards. But but what overall did you take away from watching him live and, and kind of reviewing how his first performance went? Yeah, I think my biggest takeaway was Jalen Milrow is starting to pair his elite physical traits with the intangibles needed to be successful um, starting a quarterback for Alabama. I think it was apparent in that first touchdown when – the snap skips skips past him and he picks it up and he doesn't panic. He has two hands on the ball, which was a problem last year with one hand on the ball in the pocket, getting strip sacked against Texas A&M had two hands on the ball. He was actually looking to pass the ball before taking off and running. And then obviously it turns that into um, a highlight reel touchdown. So he still has the, the same athleticism and the same explosiveness, but you can see his maturity. You can see his confidence. Um, you can see that he's processing things faster than he did last year. And past that, the, the biggest takeaway that I had was just his accuracy in um, his deep ball passing. He had four completions over 15 yards, um, you know, two of 45 plus yards, another one of about 30. All three of those went for touchdowns. So I think Tommy Reese's game plan of establishing the run early, getting ahead of the chains on early downs and using short to intermediate passes to, to give him a little bit of confidence and settle him in and then attack the, the defense with deep shots as the game went on uh, was perfectly executed. And he staked his claim in the, in the quarterback competition. And obviously, um, you know, it's not quite over yet because five touchdowns against Middle Tennessee State is great for his momentum. But just as easily as he gained momentum in that game, he could lose momentum if he turns the ball over uh, against Texas. So this upcoming Saturday, I think, is probably going to be what, what crystallizes the, this quarterback competition. But it's hard to find many flaws in, in Milrow's opening start um, because he was you know, sensational. You know, Kenny, uh, after covering fall camp there and then and then getting to see the evidence of, of the first game, the, the sense that you get there, is, is it more that they really believe in Jalen Milrow and they kind of wanted to not show their hand in terms of who the guy was going to be? Or do you feel like there wasn't maybe a big endorsement of Jalen Milrow leading up to the opener because they weren't sure how he was going to play or this kind of this competition really maybe isn't 100 percent over? Yeah, I think that I think there was internally a lot of confidence in, in Milrow. I think when you look at everything outside of like the actual play on the field, like the intangibles, like the leadership aspect, the work ethic and those things, he's always had that. Um, I think that going back to post spring practice, they bring in Tyler Buckner from Notre Dame. And, and the conversation is, you know, what is Jalen Milrow going to do? What's Ty Simpson going to do? What type of indictment is this on the quarterback room? Because they felt the need to go and seek help. And all Jalen Milrow did was organize the, the receivers and the running backs of linemen and, and they go to Florida and they have a training session for a weekend. He just starts to, to continue to build that, that connection with his skill players. And then fast forward to the fall when we had Tommy Reese um, for his availability, he said that the level of buy-in from, from Milrow and Simpson, but you know, we're speaking on Milrow right now. He said that the level of buy-in accelerated from, from spring practice and his improvement, um, you know, kind of, you know, ascended from that point. So I think he kind of took that as as motivation. And I think the fact that, you know, Buckner came in and Milrow didn't go anywhere and he just started to work harder. I think that earned a lot of respect from, you know, the, the coaching staff and his teammates. And he's kind of been in this pole position of, of number one quarterback from spring practice to now, and he's never really relinquished the the lead. And I think 
the, the common question is, well, is that because he's improving or is that because Buckner and Simpson haven't pushed him hard enough to, to make it um, to where there would be a difficult decision? But I think you saw in that first game the type of progression that Saban has kind of been hinting at through fall camp that he really has improved as a passer. Um, he has to continue to, to improve in terms of processing things pre-snap and, and decision-making. But you saw the, the glimpses of what, Jalen Milrow could be if he continues to develop and kind of what the identity of this Alabama's offense could be with him, but behind center. So I think that the confidence has always kind of been there from, from the staff. They just need this Milrow to, to realize it. And um, in a lot of ways, I think that that Buckner addition, um, you know, was kind of the starting point for him to, to really kind of take um, hold of this quarterback spot. You know, speaking of the identity of the offense, Kenny, you know, I'm I'm very curious about the running back position there. Obviously, you lose Jameer Gibbs as the first round pick. You lose Trey Sanders to the portal, who looked good at TCU in his first game there. You go down the box score here. We've got 10 carries for Jace McClellan, seven for Roydell Williams, five for Richard Young, four for Jan Miller, four for Justice Haynes. I know it's it's a it's a blowout and everybody kind of gets their piece. But as you look ahead to the Texas game, too. Um, what's the, the sense there about kind of who leads that running back room? Obviously very, these are all blue chip guys, all very talented guys. Do you think that this is more of kind of, we're going to see who the hot hand is over the course of the next few games. Do you think this is a big Jace McClellan game against Texas? Kind of, how do you see that shaking out? Yeah, I think uh, what you said, I think they're going to ride the hot hand. They have four guys that they're confident in, and that is, you know, Jason McClellan, Roydo Williams, Justice Haynes, and Jam Miller. Um, but really, in the course of the game, when it was playing out, and it was, I guess, close, quote-unquote, um, before the, the backups went into the game, it was Jason McClellan, Roydo Williams getting the bulk of those carries. And Jam Miller did have um, an early opportunity, but there was a play where um, third down Middle Tennessee State sends a blitz. Um, Jam Miller doesn't do a good job of pass protection, uh, results in a sack, and then you don't see Jam Miller, um, you know, until the, the second half unfolds. So I think um, – there's a clear top two, and those are the the seniors and McClellan and Williams, and they have you know a couple young guys that they're um, excited about. But I would expect it to be more of a heavy dose of those veterans in the Texas game, when the margin for error is going to be a lot slimmer. Those are their their two best pass protectors, um, two veterans, you know the uh, guys with the most experience who have played in these type of moments. So I would expect a heavy dose of those two, um, and then you might see situationally, um, you know Miller and, and Haynes. Uh, coming in and kind of filling a, a few gaps. But I, I think the running back room is going to be fine. Statistically, it didn't really pop in this first game. But I think yeah, situation- nobody over 50 yards in the game, I don't think. Yeah. Yeah. But situationally, they did really well. Um, first down yardage, that's kind of where McClellan and Williams kind of, um, you know, made their money. Bama averaged eight and a half. Uh, yards per play on first down, so it stayed ahead of the chains. Um, five or five in short yardage situations, you know, third and two and, and you know, fewer and Miller and McClellan were key in that aspect. So, um, you know, it didn't bear out in, in raw yardage, but situationally they played well. And I would expect for Alabama to lean heavily on the run against Texas and try to limit those possessions. One, Kenny, wanted to talk with you a little bit about just the vibe of this program this year. You know, people have made uh, comments about Nick Saban smiling, you know, maybe cracking jokes. I saw the other day uh, answering a question. He he said this is this is a Coke bottle, not a crystal ball. You know, certainly yeah. the 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 expression, the personality are always notable for for Coach Saban because of just the way his demeanor comes across. But well, what is the vibe for Alabama? Of course, like you mentioned, we got this big game against Texas coming up here in Week Two, and this is the game everyone's going to be tuning into. But but what do you get the sense of the vibe and, and what that may mean for this Alabama team this year? Yeah, I think the the vibe from Saban and one thing that he's continued to harp on, and maybe this is just what Saban does every year, um, and I haven't paid attention because I haven't been on the beat, but he has invested a lot of time into the team's mentality this year. And I think that is multi-pronged when you think about last year's game against Tennessee, where he admitted that there was like anxiety on the team in those kind of big moments, which you really just don't hear a lot when it comes to, to Alabama's program. And then the, 
the idea that they were too star reliant last year, that it was just kind of hand the ball to Bryce Young and just let him carry things on offense. And hopefully Will Anderson does something crazy on defense to, to kind of swing the momentum of the game. But I think he's invested a lot of, of time into getting the team kind of prepared um, for each person to, to step up if their moment is called and also to not have, you know, those moments of anxiety in those in those pressure moments as far as the the team itself the the vibe that i get from them is just like sheer motivation and sec media days was kind of the start of it for me that was my first time interacting with the players and you hear dallas turner say that we're bringing back joyless murder ball and you hear (laughs) jc latham saying i want that t-shirt that's a great (laughs) t-shirt yeah and you hear jc latham say we feel disrespected that, you know, a lot of people are picking, you know, Georgia or LSU to usurp us in the West or, you know, or, you know, people are kind of forgetting who we are um, based on what happened last year. So I think, um, you know, the team played with an attitude and an edge um, that you probably that fans probably haven't seen in the last few years. Um, and I think that they're just like extremely motivated to, to kind of um reinsert Bama on the map, which sounds crazy because they just played in the national championship two years ago and won the national championship three years ago. Um, but that is an eternity, I guess, in Alabama's in Alabama world to, to not have won a title in two years. But um, yeah, the vibe that I get from this team is just kind of motivation. I think that there's a lot of guys on the team that have something to prove. Um, you know, Jermaine Burton is one of them at, at receiver who kind of talks about, you know, maturing and wanting to grow up and wanting to, to be a leader. Those type of players who were supposed to be impact players last year and it didn't come to fruition, kind of coming back and having a second opportunity to do that this year. So, um, you know, I think, you know, motivation, redemption, all of those things are, are kind of on, on Bama's mind. And, and Saban has been smiling um, a lot. Um, you know, that article, I guess, you know, when it comes down to it, there was nothing really like tangible that says that that means anything. But I do think Saban has a lot of, of confidence in this team. And I think, um, you know, all the, the things that they're saying and kind of how they're operating and how they played on Saturday is is pointing in the right direction. I mean, I know this is subjective, but I think Kenny adding you to the press room there has probably raised the vibes too. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, yes. I, hey, I'm just you know, I don't want to, I don't want to toot my own horn, but you know, everywhere I've gone, the teams have just you know kind of suddenly started to to kind of turn up a bit. When I was in South mm-hmm. Carolina, this uh, high school that I covered won the state championship for the first time in school history. My first year on the beat. When I got to Iowa, they went to number two in the country. My my first year, so. Um, you know, I have a, I have a little bit of, um, of luck behind me. So, uh, maybe that will, you know, translate down here. So it's a bit that luck didn't triple down a uh, trickle down to the Iowa offense though. Did it Kenny? No, no. <laughs> Ken- Kenny built an incredible defense at Iowa and let's just leave it yeah. at that. You know, <laughs> uh, let's get, let's get to the, the main event. The reason why we have you on Texas, Alabama, this is the game this week. Uh, Obviously, we talked deep about Alabama first impressions. Texas, of course, 37-10 over Rice. Uh, A little bit uneven, a a good defensive performance. Offense got on track in the second half. But this was a game that was center stage last year. And you have people that say if Quinn Ewers doesn't get knocked out in the first quarter, maybe they win this game. And and we've had some people even on this podcast feed, David Ubbin, who have said that, Ari Wasserman, who have said that, Texas is going to go in there to Tuscaloosa and win this game. Now, they are an underdog. I believe they're 7.5-point underdog as we sit here and record this. But what's your sense for where Alabama is coming into this game and what type of intensity, if it's going to be down to the wire, what what we might see on Saturday when Texas comes to Bryant-Denny Stadium? Yeah, I think, um, again, motivation is a huge aspect to this because kind of maybe maybe – yeah, I guess a lot of lost in the cl- in the fact that that was such a close game last year was Bama was like really heavy favorites in that game. And they were expected to to kind of roll Texas and it turns into, um, you know, a Bryce Young hero drive at the at the end to, to win by one. So I think that there's something to, to prove from from Alabama's side. I think defensively, the way that, you know, Sark was able to kind of undress them with with motion and able to, to exploit a few things in their defense is going to be a talking point. This week, um, as far as how I see the game playing out, I think the the loss of 
Bijan Robinson is going to be a huge talking point, but the way that he was able to affect Alabama's defense in last year's game where they had to commit so much to um, identifying him on the field, stopping him opened up a lot in terms of, um, you know, RPOs, play actions, allow Quinn Ewers to, to get some quick throws and, and get the offense in motion without that element in the backfield. It'll be interesting to see how Sark tries to open up Alabama's defense. It feels like a game where, Queen Ewers is going to have to make, um, you know, a lot of throws. I won't say every single throw because not every quarterback can, can do that, but he's going to have to make a lot of throws in this game to, to keep Texas viable. And that matchup between their skill players and Alabama's secondary is is probably the biggest matchup to me. Um, Alabama has a few safeties, Malachi Moore and Jalen Key, who are on the mend right now. They left the Middle Tennessee State game and their status is unknown. So hopefully we'll get answers about those two later today. But you know, if, if Alabama's secondary is fully healthy, it's going to come down to Quinn Ewer's ability to to execute it and hit some vertical shots uh, against that unit. And uh, on the Alabama side, like I said, if I'm Tommy Reese, I'm going to continue the, the same formula that I had against Middle Tennessee State. I'm going to have like a 65-35, you know, run pass split, try to, to limit the possessions, try to establish some physical dominance and kind of control the clock and control the game. So um, seven and a half seems uh, a tad high. I do have Alabama winning the game, but it does feel like a, a one possession game to me. You know, it's funny too, last year, it sort of felt like Sark probably is leaning on all the secrets he knows about um, here, here's how to attack a Pete Golding defense, right? Here's here's what Alabama is going to do. Here's how we combat it. I, I I feel like the the influence of of new coordinators there, Tommy Reese and, and Kevin Steele, probably is is a bit of an advantage for for Nick Saban. And I'm sure, gosh, guys on both sides, I bet these OCs have been saving all all the stuff, all the kitchen sink stuff for this game. Yeah, definitely. That was, um, you know, I think Sark might have spoken about that last last night where he said, um, you know, Alabama's offense kind of changed a bit. And one thing that I noticed, you know, right away was Tommy Reese's um, implementing 12 personnel in a lot of of what Alabama was doing. I think that first drive, they might have went exclusively 12 personnel. And I've made a note about that on Twitter. And I had a fan tweet me back and say, like, I've never seen this many tight ends on the field before at at one time. So um, that's a that's a room that's turned into a position of strength. I don't think that was, um, you know, many people's bingo cards leaving spring practice, but they have four legitimate playable tight ends. And Tommy Reese is going to use that to his advantage. So even something, um, you know, a nuance like that is just something that that Sart and the defense staff hasn't seen from from Alabama. So that small thing I think could, could play a factor as well. And then, um, you know, on the defensive side, I think just the, the discipline is, um, you know, enough to to kind of maybe sway things in another direction. Alabama's most penalized team in the, the country last year. Um, they only had two on on defense, I believe, uh, on Saturday. So they really kind of cut down on that. Uh, missed tackles weren't as big of an issue against Middle Tennessee State, but different caliber athlete dealing with, with Texas. So, um, you know, it's kind of interesting that, the three biggest questions for Alabama entering the season were Milrow at quarterback and then Reese and Kevin Steele as coordinators. And I think, you know, all three of them had probably the best debuts that they that they could have. And all of a sudden it might be those might be three positions of strength. So we'll see what happens on, on Saturday. And I think we'll have a lot more clarity about where Bama stands after that. Well, gosh, and you know, the thing last year, um, Sam, I'm sure that Sark will point to this week. You go back and rewatch that game. It's Texas kicking field goals, you know. I mean, if Texas should mm-hmm. should run away with that game if they can punch in touchdowns in the red zone, and there's just so many times they had to settle. Um, how do you how do you feel, Sam? Like situationally, this Texas team, like, do you think they're going to be better prepared? I mean, this is this is a tough environment to roll into, obviously, night game at Brian Denny. But like, do you do you think Texas is like based on what you saw against Rice? Do you feel like? they are ready to be kind of that team that can execute in some of those pressure moments when they, they kind of didn't last year. Granted, they were, were missing their quarterback. See, I, st- I still think I have questions about that at this point because I think the plan is there. And I think Steve Sarkeesian, the way he scripts and the way they open up, I expect them to start fast, just like they did last year. He, he's a terrific game planner. His opening scripts are terrific. But I do have questions about their ability to execute. Quinn Ewers missing deep balls again on Saturday when they played Rice, I saw two Xavier Worthy balls down the right sideline that he had. If, if he hits them right on, they're big plays. They end up being incomplete passes. That's a question. Offensive line struggled to block against stunts and different looks that Rice threw at them. 
that's a question. The pass protection's got to be there, and they're going to have to give Quinn time. Uh, the Kenny mentioned Bijan Robinson and, and the running game. Obviously, this is going to be a different running game than it was a year ago because they've got a running back by committee. Roshan Johnson's not there either. But I, I think they have enough skill talent that I feel like they'll be fine. I think the the run blocking up front and, and the way they scheme it up is pretty good. So I don't have concerns about them. And, and nobody really runs on Alabama anyway, let's be honest. This, this is, I mean, even Bijan last year, I think, ended up with like 50-something yards. Dude, Bijan was not, running this, against an NFL front last year. That was like right, NFL yeah. run defense that he was finally seeing. Yeah, yeah. Th- this, this is not a team that you're going to grind out a bunch of yards against. But, but you need to have some presence because you cannot – that drop back passing game, the the play action pass will not work if the run is, does not get you something, and so right. they they have to get something out of that. But this is going to have to be the Quinn Ewers game, in my opinion. This is going to have to be Quinn Ewers' time to shine. He's going to have to play like he did in the first quarter of that game last year for four quarters, and, and hopefully they can keep him in it. Hopefully they can protect him because he took some hits on Saturday against Rice, and they've got to fix that in a big way. I don't have a really much question about their game playing ability. I have a question about whether or not they're going to execute at a high level. That That's that's the biggest thing for me. And, and I, I, Kenny, I want to throw this at you. Do you feel like we had a low-scoring game last year? Texas's defense is pretty good, and, and they started like gangbusters on Saturday. Alabama, obviously, traditionally a really good defensive team. Do you get the sense that this would be a nip-and-tuck down to the wire, low scoring battle. Yeah, I do. I do get that I, that sense. I think you know from Alabama's side. I think the you know, like you said, Texas has a has a good defense. I'm really interested to see how their their defensive front holds up against Bama's offensive line. I think the the national narrative is that Alabama has this offensive line that's just going to you know power their offense the way through. They're just going to you know kind of run through people's faces on their way to um, you know the college football playoff and beyond. So I think that that's like a, a central matchup there as well. But looking at, at Alabama, I think. You know, the the receiver position is still somewhat of a question mark. There were guys that flashed and they weren't able to hit on some deep shots. But I think to be able to to be explosive and to hit on those plays against a more formidable defense, that remains to to be seen. So that's like an unanswered question, um, you know, from Saturday. So I'll be interested to, to see how that plays out. And then defensively for Alabama, I mean, they just play lights out against middle Tennessee state. That back seven is an elite unit. And I think we're going to see a little bit more of, of what the defensive line can do uh, against Texas as well. So I, I do see it as more of a, of a low scoring game. I think we'll probably get into the forties in terms of, you know, combined points, um, you know, maybe low 50 if it's like a 27, 24 type of, of game, but that's kind of in the, in the range that, I see it. I think, uh, you know, both defenses are going to challenge these offenses to to make some some plays, and there will be a few, but I definitely don't ex- expect a shootout. Max, before we give Kenny his last question, you want to throw in a, a prediction here? Oh, God, no. No. <laughs> no. no, I mean, I, you know, that's like, I, I feel like last year, I think we were all sort of expecting, um, a, you know, the, a little bit of a slaughter, right? I mean, it's Quinn Ewer's second game at Texas. Like, you sort of feel like, yeah, I don't know if they're really ready for this. I think you're right, Sam. Texas defensively, I think they've got the dudes um, to hang around in this game and keep it close. I think they definitely do. I think there's, you Devon know, Quinn Ewers went, Quinn Ewers went, he, oh man, he looked good. Um, he looked <laughs> like he could play at Alabama on, on Saturday. Um, Quinn Ewers went 0-6 on deep balls against Rice. I mean, certainly one of the big X factors is just can they hit those? You saw how impactful that was early last year when he was able to hit a deep shot to Xavier Worthy, get them in scoring position um before Dallas Turner KO'd him you know I think that and then and then I'm really interested to see too Kenny like Caleb Downs Caden Proctor like they must put some young guys out in the field here Mm -hmm. uh, which they don't typically do but those guys are certainly legit real five stars and this is just I mean it doesn't get bigger than this in terms of an early test uh in their career I think you're right this is not as big of a star driven team and so there's just a lot of there's just a lot of guys that have to play at a really high level uh, for Alabama to to hang on in this game. I, I think I still like Alabama, but I think Texas is is going, like I said, it's kitchen sink for Texas, and I think that they can make it a four-quarter game. Yeah, and um, on your point about Downs and Proctor, they were tied with a few players at their respective positions, but each of them led Alabama in snaps on offense and defense. So um, young guys out there, but they have a lot of trust. Obviously, um, totally. that they're out there more than than anyone. But you no, know, they are. Also, freshmen. those guys would start for literally every team in the country. 
Right. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a good, that's a good point as well. But like you said, they are freshmen. They're going to get got. You know that happened against Middle Tennessee as as well. So you know I would expect you know Sark to to try to scheme some things up to put them in some one on one or difficult situations and see how they respond to that. Yeah, he he's really good at the eye candy. He's really good at getting guys moving around and 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 conflicted on in, in the second level on defense. Last last one for you, Kenny. What will it take for Alabama to be college football playoff good? You mentioned this is a fan base and a program that really hasn't uh, hasn't met its level met its standard and you know of, of late and i think there's a sense that people have kind of slept on alabama this year and and kind of wonder including the entire athletic back. football staff i mean yeah. i was gonna say heck, we max you know? and i discussed on the show last week that we all may be uh guaranteed that alabama is going to make the playoff because we had the the gall all eight of our national writers to not pick them to make the playoff yeah. Kenny, What's if you go on Fine Bomb, you do not have to wear that one. That's on literally everybody <laughs> that's right, else. That's, right. that's on us. You can blame all of me. That's all. That's all us. Max, Nicole, yeah. Ari, Chris, the, the the whole gang of and whoever picked uh, LSU to win the national title. Yeah, all of us. Woo! <laughs> 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 uh, that one doesn't Ooh. look so good right now. Uh, but but what's it going to take for Alabama to to make get back to the playoff? Yeah, I think um, I think three things. I think the the continuing development of Jalen Miro is going to be key, obviously explosive athlete on the ground, but if he can continue to develop confidence as a passer and continue to develop pre-snap, post-snap, get Alabama into the right plays, I think that, um, you know, is number one on the priority list. Secondly, I'm staying on offense. The skill players need to continue to develop. Mention wide receivers. They need to have, if not a true number one, they need to have three, four, five really consistent guys um, that are going to be able to make plays. Another big key out of Saturday's game where there were zero drops, and that was a huge talking point throughout the offseason and through fall camp was how can the Bama receivers eliminate drops, You know, add the tight ends to that mix as well. If there are guys that can emerge and become reliable pass catchers as well, that can take some pressure off the receivers, but we need to see that group on the perimeter and then um, the tight end group continue to progress as well. And I think penalties is going to be a huge um, aspect as well. So Bama's got to be the disciplined team that we've known them to be for, you know, a decade plus under Saban. They had led the nation in penalties last year, 16 penalties against Tennessee in a game where they lose on the final field goal of the game. It was a problem against LSU as well. So those are probably my, my three big keys to, to Bama being, you know, college football playoff good. If they can do those things and, you know, the rest of the positions and the areas of their team that we know are strong, like the back seven and the offensive line and the run game continue to, you know, continue to, to work and continue to, to get better each week as well, then um, you're going to have a really dangerous team at the end of the year. Yeah, if, if you, by the way, if you see that article printed out somewhere in the Alabama football facility, please let us know. We would love to know <laughs> if, if, if our, if our, uh, yeah, our overlooking of Alabama has. Uh, Dude, I was the last one to one. send my picks in and Eric told me like, there's a lot on the line here with your picks and I didn't know what he meant. And I didn't pick yeah. Alabama to make the playoff. And he was like, oh, thank God you didn't. Because so many more people will read this now that you didn't. But I, if I had known, if I had known that that was on the line, I certainly would have had Alabama winning the national championship just so I could say, what are you guys doing? I, I'm yeah. a genius. You know? uh, on the other side of that, you know, maybe at the end of the year, you know, Alabama wins the SEC, wins the national championship, whatever. Saban is thanking the athletic for the yummy rat poison. That's so right. maybe we get, you know, maybe the, the athletic might get some free pub from from Saban. Like, yeah, there's one particular outlet out there that nobody on their staff picked us, and we want to thank you personally. So um, maybe there's like some reverse psychology from you from you from your national writers. So that, that's, rat that's the thing. Like you got with 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 Nick Saban and Coach Prime. It's it's one nobody believes in us. Two Affleck commercials, you know, a lot right. of comments. That's right. That's right. <laughs> I was watching them. I was watching them on Sunday night all, all through that LSU FSU game. Yeah. They're getting all the pub. Uh, Kenny, good stuff, man. Kenny Smith from The Athletic covering Alabama. Stay stay on his coverage. He'll have Alabama covered for you all season, and particularly this week ahead of the big game against Texas. Kenny, thanks so much for joining us, man. Thanks, yeah, thanks Thank you for having me. All right, appreciate Kenny joining us. Good stuff. Looking forward to that one. That's going to be a huge one in Tuscaloosa this weekend. But let's go on to what I'm going to call our weekly grab bag segment. We're going to rotate this third segment every week. Last week, we did 
uh, pick six. We did some lead pipe blocks, uh, which, by the way, I sort of looked look bad on one of those. TCU winning nine plus. Not sure I feel good about that one anymore uh, after that debut weekend against Colorado. So, uh, dude, dude, not, I, I need to apologize to our listeners too. On the sound off episode on Monday, I did say that Clemson could go four quarters of Florida State. And I would like to, I asked our producer to erase that, but he, he's leaving it up. So, you know. What are you talking about? Do you, tonight? I, I, no, about feel, no, no, no. I feel Florida like Clemson State. can hang with Florida State for oh, yes, all four quarters. Yes. No, no, no. I feel Florida like State. Clemson can hang with Florida State for oh, yes. all four quarters. They ask you how you are, and you just have to say that you're fine when you're not really fine. Oh, yes. All four quarters. You, we'll you and Ubbin both, I think, were, were talking Clemson up pretty good on uh, probably five, six hours before kickoff. And yeah, man, yeah, it's fine. Things it's changed. Fine. Things changed in a hurry. But uh, but this week we're going to do a stock report. Uh, you guys may have heard back in the preseason, me and Ari Washerman did a, did a buy or sell. We had a lot of fun. So we're going to bring that back. Uh, and with the week one results, we're going to we're going to buy or sell some things. We're not going to necessarily pick specific teams, but we may talk about odds. Uh, players, coaches, you name it. So let's start right here. Speaking of, uh, you guys were talking about Clemson, talking about the ACC a lot today. Florida State, Max, buy or sell Florida State's college football playoff chances? I'm buying. I'm buying big time. I mean, I'm not trying to overreact to to Clemson Duke here, um, but you look at the Florida State schedule. You know, they're, they're going to Clemson week four. They get Duke at home in October. Maybe Miami has things cooking by November. Maybe Florida's probably in desperation mode at the end of November when they play them. Like I, it's hard to circle many losses on this schedule. You know, last year they dropped three in a row, Wake, NC State, Clemson. You know, you've got to avoid that kind of skid if you drop one, if you're Florida State. But there's not really a three-game stretch on their schedule or even really a two-game stretch on the schedule where you're like, oh, man, this is, this is a little dangerous. So, um Florida State, I think they're legit, and uh, my my call on them is all aboard. Tickets, please. All aboard. <laughs> that's uh, that's that's good. I like it. Uh, the I think this is an easy buy. It's a little bit higher now, and just probably you're paying a lot more money for this at this point because they've got the big top five win over LSU, or at least LSU was five when they played them, and. Like you said, Clemson looks down, so that September 23rd game doesn't look as treacherous, even though it's on the road. The one that I'm circling now, actually, for this one is the team we talked about at the top is Duke in October. Because defensively, this is a really is a good game team. in Tallahassee, for, for the record. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So so that that one's going to be really interesting to watch. But down the stretch, you know, obviously we'll have to see what we what we can make of Florida and Miami as we get down the stretch. But when you look at the way they looked offensively. Uh, I think Norvell is doing a great job. Jordan Travis, obviously Jordan Travis, Keon Coleman going off. This is a really talented team. Uh, they did a really good job of stocking the roster, and, and I'm with you on that. I think this one's a, a 100% a buy. To the moon! <laughs> uh, let's go to our next buy or sell. Buy or sell, Max. Colorado's Heisman Trophy chances. Chances they get somebody to the I, I, let me let me rephrase that chances they get somebody to the Heisman Trophy ceremony see it's somebody to New York City so obviously we're saying Shador Sanders or Travis Hunter one of those guys getting to New York City at the end what do you think on that I'm thinking like hold or well, I don't know what the right term is I I, I don't have any stock on <laughs> I'm a Heisman voter so I was not allowed to place any bets on the Heisman but uh, if I had a Travis Hunter ticket right now, I'd be feeling pretty good. I think the spotlight mm-hmm. on him is going to be different here the rest of the year. Obviously, the quarterback, um, you know, just by, by by the nature of position, I think Shadir Sanders is going to get that kind of attention. Can they sustain this over 12 games? Travis Hunter certainly cannot be playing 129 plays a game for, for 12 mm-hmm. games. Like, that just doesn't. Mm-hmm. It's not going to work. Um, just physically. I mean, he, he, can, he can play at a really high level. Uh, there's no question. And he can handle a lot. Um, but they've got to they got to ease off the the gas a little bit. I think at some point this season, um, I'm not I'm not buying a Heisman finalist yet. But I need to see a couple more games. Maybe, you know, ask me again at the end of the month. What do you think? Yeah, after we see their games against Oregon and USC, I think we'll have a really good feel. And and you know how it goes. September Heisman guys, we've heard so many of them 
over the years, and we're talking about just out of week one. Uh, yeah. I remember once upon a time, Kenny Hill uh, being in that yeah. conversation in, in 2014. But uh, those guys can come and go really quickly. But I will say that people forget if, Taylor Martinez won Heisman in September too. He was, he was special. <laughs> I will say this. I do like the, the we don't see very many defensive Heismans and we don't we don't see very many guys get to New York City in that instance. But Travis Hunter obviously playing both ways, playing receiver and corner, but he's gonna have a real shot if he continued to play both ways and play at a high level on a consistent basis. And I think what will happen is is that because he had such a huge performance in week one, people are going to keep checking in and people are going to keep paying attention as long as Colorado is a good team. If Colorado goes, let's say, what if they go nine and three? If they go nine and three and Travis Hunter plays at a high level all year, I think he can get himself an invite. I really do. Uh, that, the interesting question there is like who, who should uh, Coach Prime and Colorado kind of uh, shove their chips behind here? And if there's one guy they're trying to make a finalist, I think the Otani thing with Hunter probably plays – Maybe plays a little bit better, but also voters are generally pretty lazy and they need to see interceptions <laughs> in order to put a cornerback in that conversation. Yeah, no, 100%. So th- that'll be interesting to see uh, how that plays into all the discussion. So let's stay in the Pac-12 for our next one. Buy or sell the Pac-12's college football playoff chances. They went 13-0 and in week one. So how you feel about that, Max? I think that uh they they probably probably should be a Pac-12 conference next year. I think it's uh still quite a bummer that there won't be. Mm-hmm. Um still pretty unfathomable. I'm st- I'm still selling on Pac-12 having a playoff team. Um although I did um I did have USC making the playoff <laughs> in my preseason picks. I'm not shying away from that, but I think I think these teams are all really good. Mm-hmm. Like it's hard for me to see one of them just mowing everyone else down. Uh, honestly, mm-hmm. um, I think uh, USC is really good. I think Oregon is the one probably people are kind of sleeping on at this point because Washington had such a buzzy win over Boise State. Um, there's one more I want to touch on this, Sam. So, but so g- give me your your Pac-12 take real quick here. Yeah, I'm I'm buying, and I have to buy because a week ago when we did our lead pipe blocks, I said Pac-12 is going to get a playoff team. And so I'm I'm sticking with that. And after going 13 0 in week one, I, I love it. I'm still well, not, not out on out USC. Utah too. Utah's legit. That's right. That's right. I, I'm not le- I'm not down on USC yet. I know it was a rough week one performance. They were better defensively uh in week two. And I I do think they're gonna be good enough defensively with all the firepower they have on offense, all the guys they added, I think they'll be good. Colorado being legit is going to change the conversation because I think you're right about these guys, these teams are going to beat each other up to a certain extent, and they they do play nine conference games. But I think there's so much there from Michael Penix and the way they played at Washington. I, they blew out Boise State in a game that I think a lot of us were thinking was going to be uh, a sneaky potential upset or game that could give them some trouble. Oregon, you know, obviously they played Portland State, but shoot, dropping 81 is, is interesting. If they go win at Tech this week, that'll be a big big uh, start to the year. And so I, I do think one of these teams is going gonna, is gonna to come through. So, so I'm definitely buying on, on Pac-12. Buy him. Buy him now. One more I want to mention here. Um, DJ Uyunglele. I don't know if you watched what he did against San Jose State. He looked really good. He looked like mm-hmm. he, was, he was back. It looked a lot simpler for him. The five-star arm talent was showing up again. It's possible Oregon State – Maybe he has better personnel and scheme than, than Clemson. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see about that. Uh, the toughest road games on their schedule, on, on Oregon State schedule, are, are Colorado and Oregon. Like, it's mm-hmm. really not that bad at all. They don't play USC this year. Uh, DJ Uyunglele, I've had him as a triple sell. I'm upgrading him right here, right now. <laughs> I think this thing could even go as high as a don't buy. Don't buy! What? <laughs> which, is an, which is an upgrade. Oh man, that's uh I will tell you this. DJU is very validated after after the Clemson performance. As he had a long interview with Bruce Feldman. He got, I'm sure a lot of people mm-hmm. saw that on the Athletic this summer. Very candid commentary about the state of Clemson and the offense and the belief in him uh or the lack of belief better put that he believed came from the Clemson coaching staff and all that stuff. I started thinking about all that stuff last uh, last night after uh, Clemson started struggling offensively. So I, I'm I'm buying I'm buying DJU is good again for sure. Okay. Uh, all right. Let, let's talk some coaches. Dave Aranda 
Baylor's coach in 2025. Are you buying or selling that after their loss to Texas State? In- oh, Sam. For me, Baylor is a sell, sell, sell. Right? Sell, sell, sell. Yeah. <laughs> um, they, I just don't know that they've got a bunch of really good players right now. Like I'm just kind of watching them play last year and, and the opener this year. Like in 2019, they were 35th in team talent composite. That's the last year of the rule era. That's 35th. Today, they're 46th. Like they're in, they're fifth in the Big Twelve, kind of between Texas Tech and Houston and West Virginia. Like I think there's been a little bit of a decline there. They had one preseason All Big Twelve player, Richard Reese. He got seven carries on Saturday, and Dom Richardson got sixteen, which I thought was curious. Um, they didn't have they going into this year. They didn't have any players um, who'd started more than twenty games at Baylor. I mean, I look at the schedule, and I'm I'm sure you've looked ahead here. You look at that schedule, man. Like how bad could it get? Like one in five. Like it's yeah. it's pretty rough coming up here. It, it's not starting it's not with a good Utah week. this week, which is not a, not a good opponent to not a good week to face Utah without Blake Shapen. No, no, yeah, he's going to be out for two to three weeks in MCL. Yeah, I'm selling on. Uh, actually, I'm well. Let me put it this way: I'm buying on Dave Aranda. No, no, no. <laughs> I'm, I'm not I've firing already, Dave Aranda. I'm not saying I'm not he's buying. Gone. Da- I'm not. I, I, I'm confused on my own statement here. So I'm selling Dave Aranda being the coach. Sell in 25 him. Right you now. For him. Well. It's you're right. The talent level's not there. It does not match what we saw two years ago when they had six draft picks. And we're in year four of this of this tenure. They had eight home games coming into this season. So you thought this was going to be a good easy chance for a bounce back year. But now they got Utah and Texas to finish up September. So they could be one and three coming out of September. They've got Texas Tech on October seventh, who they ramrodded last year. But they did. Uh, I don't know. This team just doesn't look the same to me. And they got beat speed wise. Texas Texas State speed gave Baylor all kinds of trouble. Yeah. GJ Kinney, I thought him and his staff outcoached them by a mile. So by the way, Texas State is is not anywhere close to forty sixth in team talent composite. No, gosh, no. Uh, but, they, but he did do a good job of flipping that roster though. Him. They did. Yeah, no, he he did do a good job flipping the roster. Fifty three newcomers, uh, second only yeah. to Colorado. So they 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 got some juice there. But yeah, I think they've got. I I actually the funny thing is I like their coordinators, I like their staff, but something is off there. Something is not right at Baylor, and I don't know what it is. And they're going to have to either find a way to upset Utah or or start off Big Twelve play with a win over Texas, get some momentum to get me to believe in them again. Because they're going to need Sawyer Robinson to play at a pretty high level here right away. Yeah, and I do think he's good. I see him in the spring. Yeah. I think he's talented, but boy, they've got a lot of issues. Offensive line, yikes! Not not a good start for them. Uh, last one. Uh, close this one out. Buy or sell Tulane going back to New Year's Six this year? What do you think? I'm buying, and buddy, they're playing Ole Miss this week. Like they could, I wouldn't put it past them to beat Ole Miss. And I think Ole Miss has got some very talented players. I think they're once again they've upgraded that roster via the portal they looked you know really explosive in their opener but shoot man this is i think michael pratt's got a chance to to make some big noise this week yeah you know that <laughs> i'm, I'm bye bye buying on Tulane. that was a game that again a lot of people circled as a potential treacherous uh game for Tulane. south alabama a lot of people on the the kane womack bandwagon that's uh you know Jaguars have seemed to be rising up a little bit as a program, but they handled that one pretty well. Uh, you know, I've ended up winning by 20. Michael Pratt, 14 of 15, 294 yards, four touchdowns. Just an impeccable performance for him and great quarterback. And I will tell you this about Tulane. The talent overall, they've done a really good job of stocking that roster. I've talked to a few yes. other uh, coaches around and have really complimented their ability to – both recruit getting some really good recruits and also getting some good portal guys. I think they they've done a really good job of evaluating and finding guys that fit them. And uh, I think, I think they're in a really good spot. When you look at this conference, the rest of this conference, the rest of their schedule, UTSA looked a little iffy in the, in the mm-hmm. start. And that's the team that you would think they would see in the conference championship game at the end of the year. You know, Frank Harris still kind of recovering from his, you know, preseason operation and injuries. So that one is not as much of an issue. The Ole Miss game coming up this weekend obviously is going to be huge, but 
man, if Pratt plays like that, you feel like you know that they're going to have a chance. And then the rest of that I think schedule, Pratt I, starts going to be a lot of fun this week. And there's so yeah. many good games on this schedule for week two, but that one I've definitely circled. Yeah, and, and so that one's going to be a good one. But but he, after that Ole Miss game, there's nothing on the schedule that really alarms me. If you're Tulane, I think uh, that you would think they would be favored in every one of those games the rest of the way. So and don't forget that this is what Cincinnati needed. If you can get that one Power Five win and go undefeated, puts you in the conversation. Yeah, yeah, and and that's the thing is you, you need some chaos. You're gonna need some help. Totally. Uh, and yeah. Cincinnati certainly got that in, in 2021. But but it heck. They had the kind of run up with winning that New Year's Six game against a big brand the year before, doing it against USC. It's kind of similar to to the run up that Cincinnati had the year before. So they've already been top of mind. They're already in the top twenty five in, in the rankings. So gives them a shot. I, I think I like where the Green Wave are going right now. So, but that was bye, fun bye, stuff. Bye bye bye. Hundred <laughs> percent. <laughs> Good stuff. Well, Max, thanks for thanks for joining me today. Thank you all for listening. Thank you for tuning into Until Saturday, a Max and Sam edition. Be sure that you're following the podcast wherever you listen to your podcast, Apple, Spotify, whatever service you use. You'll be notified when new episodes are up. As always, we appreciate a five-star rating review. Hit the subscribe button on the YouTube channel. Join us every Thursday, Saturday, and Sunday for our live streams. Subscribe to the Until Saturday newsletter. Link in the show notes. Check that out. Uh, of course, we've got plenty upcoming this week. Stars Matter, Power Hour, the preview show, and of course, the live reaction show on Saturday night. So check all those out. We'll talk to you again next week. Thanks for joining us. <laughs>